you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I mistakenly told first service, I thought we could be done on time. I actually told him, I think we can do this in 40 minutes. Uh, we were late. But we're going to cut some of the fluff and we're going to get straight into verse 15. Let me do tell you before uh, we begin to read uh, something I failed to tell you last week. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 are one long run-on sentence in the Greek. How many English teachers we got in here? Yeah, you would not like Paul. Uh, he, he tends to just pack a lot into these, these sentences uh, in that very limited language that he uh, spoke in the first century. So that's actually the longest sentence in the Bible. Uh, verses 3 through 14. And now what we're going to look at today is, again, verses 15 through 23 is a, an, a, another long run on. So that means there's one, one there's a lot of information we're going to be looking at today. Uh, but it is, it is one sentence uh, that Paul packs full of gospel knowledge so that you and I can grow. Remember before we even begin reading why Paul is writing. Did you know there, uh, Paul doesn't believe that there are Christians who are more saved or less saved. He doesn't believe uh, there are Christians God loves more and loves less. But he does categorize Christians in a couple different ways. He lets us know that there are some who need milk, but we need to grow up to needing meat. There are mature people in Christ Jesus, and there are immature people in Christ Jesus. Uh, in another place, in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, uh, Paul speaks of uh, Christians in terms of weaker brothers. These are people who are still dealing with a lot of maybe uh, religion, uh, church baggage, uh, superstitions, uh, ungospel un convictions, right? They are called the weaker brothers, and then there are the stronger brothers. And guess what Paul tells the stronger brothers? Hey, you got to deal with these weaker brothers. You got to love them through this process. And you got to be my hands and feet to grow them through my word and my gospel into strong brothers like yourself. And this is Paul's aim for the Ephesians. He wants all of us. And listen, I put myself in the immature camp this morning. I am learning and growing through God's word. And we all need to just take this posture of humility and say we know nothing one thing God is teaching me after 25 years of ministry and after thinking that I had learned some things let me give you two great pieces of advice you don't know what you don't know I know that's mind-blowing but write that down you can't know think about this there are treasures God has for you to build you in his gospel that you have no clue exists yet. How many of you have ever got that phone call and the doctor says that word nobody wants to hear? You know, and all of a sudden, you, your world, right, everything, the, the black starts moving in. The world seems very small and very dark. But as you go through the process of sickness or of anything, of maybe you're getting into the foster care. Sarah and I, when we were getting into foster care, man, we, what do we do and how, how does this work? And 
There is an entire world out there. Right? If cancer has come into your home, there's an entire world of experts and people who love you and support groups that exist there. You never knew they were there before until you need them. And then you see there's a much larger... This is what Paul wants for the Ephesians. He wants to grow them in the gospel. He wants to make them aware. Three things we're going to find out about today that Paul wants to make us aware in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there are four illustrations of the power of God at work in this world and within us. So three points of awareness and then four illustrations based on the last point of awareness. Let's move. For this reason. Oh, I told you two statements. I didn't give you the second one. This is just for you, by the way. First service didn't get this. You don't know what you don't know, and you build your blind spots into what you build. That's pretty good. Write it down. (laughs) Build your blind spots into what you build. When there are problems in our families, when there are problems in our marriages, when there are problems in life, it's because there is gospel application that we have not. It's a blind spot to us. We don't see it. So we don't build it into our marriages and into our families. God wants to build us up. God wants to show us things we may not be aware of so we can become the stronger brothers, the mature in Christ. This is our journey together, four points. For this reason. Now, for this reason, something had to happen for this reason uh, to get here. Uh, Let me just recap quickly. In eternity past, before the first tree swung in the breezes of this atmosphere... God the Father has done a work. He has chosen a people. He has predestined a people. And he has adopted a people into his family. Uh, And because God did that in eternity past, now that we are in space and time, because God did that, we now have two things. Redemption through the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of our trespasses. We have been saved and ransomed from the slave master of sin. We have been pulled from sin. We're dead to sin. We've been made alive in Christ and all your sin, past sin, present sin, and future sin has been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Christ because of the work of the Father in eternity past. What is the fruit of this? We believe in Jesus and our belief, our confession in Christ, our faith in him is the, the stamp of God's ownership upon us. It is the seal of the Holy Spirit. And for this reason, because I have heard of your faith, right? God did this. We now have, and I see the fruit in you. Now, remember, Paul ministered in Ephesus for three years. But Paul is now a prisoner in Rome. He's on death row awaiting a trial before the emperor Nero in which he will lose his head. It's been a little while since he's been in Ephesus. Now, he was part of the planning of the church there. He was part of the instilling leaders uh, in the church there. So there are people that Paul knows in Ephesus But there's also these reports of the gospel being proclaimed and more people coming to know Jesus, believing in him. Paul is ecstatic about this. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And again, this is something that 
Here's what I love. I'm sitting back in my office after watching these people. Right, Philip gets out and rah, right? There's just some things you can't manufacture. Right, people, when a church grows, people give a lot of credit to pastors and to staffs. And to, listen, we don't have a love manufacturing toolkit back here in this office. I can't make people love Jesus, and I can't make people love one another. If I could, that'd be awesome. But that's not power God has given any man or any woman. All we can do is, pro, we're, we're completely humble before, and we can do nothing on our own. All we can do is proclaim his gospel, and he does the work. And Paul's just rejoicing in this section because he's going, I've heard about your faith and also that you guys are loving one another. And I see that after, after first service, I saw these people just ministering to one another and, and inviting people into other areas of the church. You, you can't manufacture, you can't make that happen. That's something God does. That is fruitfulness. It's how we, right, it's one of the evidences that we really have believed in Jesus because there is a love for the saints. Remember who you are. Brandon, it was a terrible week. God calls us saints. Real quick, put 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10 on the board, because I want to remind you, saints, who you are. You are a chosen race. How many of you were athletes in high school? Or are decent at sports. I was, my wife was the athlete in our family. I have never been the athlete, but I was decent in sports. And you know it's a good day when maybe the star, the second star, they're both sick and you're playing dodgeball. And there are two team captains and you get chosen first. Anybody ever experienced the joy of getting chosen first? You just kind of chest sticks out a little bit, your chin's up a little higher, right? You are, listen, you this morning are a chosen race, chosen by God. It's a great book, R.C. Sproul, get that. Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Think about these, these terms, a people for his own possession we're going to talk about that in a moment in Ephesians that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light we weren't saints we were in darkness but God through his gospel has brought us in to his marvelous light now we get to proclaim that light why once you were not a people we weren't saints we were not a people, but now you are God's people. Just look, look to your neighbor. There are, there are at least five couples in this room that got into a fight on the way here this morning. We don't have time for you to shave. Come on, the kid throws up on you as you're walking out the door, right? And it's their fault, right? You didn't burp them right, blah, blah, blah. Been there, done all that. Right? Just look to the person to your left. Look to the person to your right. 
You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Do it. I wasn't kidding. Do it. Everybody's like, oh, he's just talking. (laughs) He doesn't mean that. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And the great joy that I see before me is a people proclaiming faith and loving one another. It's a joy to behold. Paul's beholding that joy in the Ephesus church. I do not cease. Now, this is a prayer, Paul. Paul is giving us the contents of a prayer that he is praying over the saints in Ephesus. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is the pastor who gave us that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing. Listen, one way that we can grow is to learn how to commune with God all the time. Did you know you don't have to be in a church to pray or in a special room to pray? or in, Now, there's places we like to. I love the woods, man. But that can become an excuse, right? I'd rather be in the woods thinking about God than be in church thinking about or being in church and thinking, wanting to be in the woods. I don't remember how it goes. That's a buddy of mine. He tells me that all the time. I'm like, shut up, get in church. Right? There's places we may like to pray, but Paul is a person who's learned to commune with God. Did you know you can jump on the trampoline with your kids and your mind loving them, engage with them, laughing and cutting up, but, but at the same time, Jesus, thank you for this time. I get to be with them. Right? And that's what, that's what Paul is just, he's learned to commune with God in every, every era. I mean, he's, in, he's on house arrest right here. His life, he's been preaching the gospel and God's been working through him and then uh, apart from him. He's been preaching, his life's getting worse. He's in prison awaiting death. But he's communing with God. And he's letting the, the, the saints in Ephesus know, man, I, I'm so thankful what God's doing over there. Listen, one, one quick point here. You are never in a situation where you cannot be involved in the kingdom of God on this planet. Paul can't go anywhere. He's on house arrest, but he still finds ways. He writes letters and he prays and intercedes and gives thanks for the work that he hears God doing. You're not too old. You're not too sick. There's never a situation you will ever face where you cannot be actively engaged in the kingdom of God. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge in him. What is he giving thanks for? He's giving thanks that the saints are loving one another and believing in Jesus. What's he praying for? That they're going to increase in wisdom, in the Spirit's wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. They need more uh, understanding about our Trinitarian God, who he is and what he's done. Now, real quick, I'm not going to belabor like I did in first service this point. 
you heard me say this last week, I say it again, everything within Christianity is Trinitarian. Now, we can't fully comprehend a God who is three yet one. He is one God, yet he is Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, or vice versa. He is three distinct, he reveals himself in three distinct persons, yet he is one God. Uh, Augustine, my, one of my favorite uh, ancient theologians, spent 21 years studying the Trinity, trying to figure out the right way. And he came up with all these pictures and all these metaphors. I actually heard a preacher one time stand on a stage with a fidget spinner. and bzzz, He said, God is like a fidget spinner. God is not like a fidget spinner. Right? Any metaphor you come up with always breaks down and becomes heresy, right? We believe in our Christian God, the way he reveals himself, uh, because that's how he reveals himself, not because we can completely understand him. Augustine, after 21 years, he, said, he gave us this one quip I pass on to you. He said, to deny the Trinity is to lose your soul. To study the Trinity is to lose your mind. Right? He's God. Can't understand the intricacies of his personhood within his oneness. But we do know, and he reveals to us how he works. It is the Father who we cannot see, who, who is in eternity. He's everywhere, but, but his place uh, is, in the, is in the heavenly places. But it is his will, it is his plan at work within this world. It's the reason the world exists, because he had a will. He's a good father. He has a will and a plan that he, he enacts and exacts uh, within time and space, his creation. And how does the father will? He wills and enacts his will through his son, the second person of the Trinity. This is the God who became flesh. Right, uh, John 1, uh, the word is logos. He is the word that was with God and was God. He is the word that became flesh. He is who uh, the person writing this book got to see, touch. Right, the, the 12 disciples, man, it was doubting Thomas that got to put his fingers in Jesus' side. He got to touch the nail-pierced hands and feet. Je Jesus is God that we can see. He became flesh, dwelt among us, living the perfect life we could not, dying in our place for our sins, and then on the third day raising, conquering sin and death, hell, and the grave. It, it, everything that God wills, everything that God planned happens and is executed through the person of Jesus Christ. It is his gospel that occurred in history. It's an event. It's not a story. It's not a never. It's an event that occurred in history. And then what did Jesus say in John 14 and John 16? He said to his original disciples, he said, I'm going away. And they're like, no, you're not. You're not leaving. I will never leave. I'm hanging on wherever you go. I want to go. Just tell us where you're going. We'll go ahead. We'll, we'll prepare the way. But Jesus said, I got to go away. We're going to talk about why in a second. He said, but it's good that I go because if I go, I will send the comforter. There is God, the Holy Spirit. It is the power and the presence of God at work in this world right now. It's how we become believers 
Right? John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he's questioning how can a person be born again? And Jesus says, by the Spirit. It is the Spirit who makes the gospel. This event that happened in history 2,000 years ago makes the gospel real in our hearts, changes our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that now leads us and guides us and teaches us about the finished work, the God's finished will in Christ Jesus to the glory of the Father. Everything in Christianity is Trinitarian. God wills, works through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What does Paul want? What's he praying for? For us to continue grow, for the Holy Spirit to continue teaching us and giving us all knowledge about the will of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Watch this. You ever heard that song? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. This is where it comes from. All right. Spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened. Right? How many of you, I mean, when you're in a dark room, you can't see, but when the light switch gets flipped, no more stubbed toes, amen? This is what God wants for us. He wants to turn, wants through the power of his spirit to turn the, the gospel of Jesus Christ on in our hearts. The heart is the seat of the will in Paul's mind. It is the, it's the seat of emotions, but it's also the seat of the human will. What I want. What is the only way our wills can be changed and made uh, obedient to the will of God instead of our own wills. It's through the Spirit teaching us about how good, how much better God's will really is. Isn't it true in some of you uh, more mature saints in the room, as you get older, how foolish our will and the things that we've longed after and searched for become. Right? The closer you get to Jesus, the closer the Spirit brings us into the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more His will is beautiful and, and the less appealing our own will is. This is the process of sanctification. Get closer to Jesus and the consuming fire that God is will begin to burn away. All those sins that so easily entangle us. I told you this last week, but almost every time somebody comes into my office and there's just that sin, they, they hate it, they don't want it, uh, they want to break free from it, but they just seem to keep stumbling back into it. It always comes from an ignorance in who God is and what God has done. That's why Paul's praying without ceasing. We grow that God will enlighten our hearts in the knowledge of what the Father has done through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Boy, that was a big sentence. Got to move. Here's the three things, three awarenesses Paul is praying without ceasing that we grow in now. Things that will enlighten our hearts. The first is this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, before we even get into hope, let's, let's notice that faith 
has already been used in this sentence. Love has already been used in this sentence. And now we get to hope, faith, hope, and love. We've read this before in Paul's writings, correct? Right, this is the great trifecta of Christian values uh, within Scripture, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why do we need, we're going to talk about hope in a second, why do we need faith? Because right now, uh, Jesus Christ has ascended. He's in session in heaven. Uh, we can't see him. We can't, like Doubting Thomas, put our fingers in his side. Uh, we need, though, to believe in what God has done in Jesus in history moving forward. It's what seals us in the Holy Spirit. We need faith. We need to believe in him. But there's going to come a day. See, faith is temporary. There's going to come a day where we will see him. There's going to come a day where we can put our fingers in his side. right? There's going to come a day where we won't need faith because we're going to be in his presence. We're going to be before him. In that day, faith will not be necessary. But faith is needed now. Amen? Hope is the same way. And right now, what you need to be made aware of is there is hope in the God's plan through the gospel of Jesus Christ for you. And isn't it true we live in a hopeless, dark, depressed, disillusioned world? I've said before in past sermons, we are the most heavily medicated generation on the planet Earth. It seems that everything around us is broken and crumbling. It seems like we can't trust anybody anywhere. I mean, pastors are falling left and right. Politicians are as crooked as something crooked. can't think of anything crooked right now right institutions that we've trusted for so long have become untrustworthy right this place is broke there's a disease and we can see it and it's growing and it seems like there's no cure and there's no end this is why Jesus wants us to be aware of the hope that we have because there is nothing outside the scope of God's will and God's plan. And there's a reason this world is diseased. And there's a reason it's broken. Because God, through the gospel, is going to renew and restore all things. And, and he, it, the gospel is, the, our hope is not we can fix this place. Our hope is in the inheritance that he has laid up for us. Our hope is in every spiritual blessing with which God has blessed us in Christ in the heavenly places. There's Jesus left because he said, not only did he say it's good for me to go because I'm going to send the helper, but he also said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a place no eye has seen, no mind can imagine. There is a place where all wrongs are made right, where justice is served in holiness and perfection, and where love is pure, purer than you have ever known or imagined. It's why there's no marriage in heaven, because there's a love in heaven we're going to experience in Christ with him and with all the other saints that we just can never experience here on earth. And this is our hope. That God has stored up an abundance of his blessings for us. And we're going to know how good it is because we've experienced being broken. We need hope now. Listen, maybe you got a call this week. Isn't it funny how one phone call can change your life? 
We prayed with a 15-year-old boy this past week in Scottish, not Scottish, right, the other one, Eggleston Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. 15-year-old basketball athlete, bacterial meningitis, had to have, was rushed from Chattanooga. Uh, he goes to a, a partner church of ours in Chattanooga. They call, we're not there, can you go? We, we drove down, open um, emergency heart and brain surgery. The bacteria was spreading to his brain. Right? We need hope in this world. But there's going to come a day, hope is temporary. There's going to come a day we don't need hope any longer. Because we are going to be in the perfection that is our God. Faith, hope, and love. And love is the greatest. Why is love the greatest? Love is the only thing that is both temporary and eternal. We sense the presence of God's love here. We love one another here. But in eternity, love doesn't stop because God is love. And we live in his love forever with one another. But right now, if you need hope, become aware. You need faith now. You need hope now. Become aware of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, in the plan of God at work within you. Second thing we become aware of. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, at first glance, we're thinking about our inheritance. Remember, verse 14 talks about our inheritance. The Holy Spirit's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. But this is worded differently. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Here's what you need to know. Just as much as we want to go where God is leading us, God wants us there. You need to understand how much God loves you. Remember, God before eternity passed, right? He chose you. He predestined you. He adopted you into his family. He made you his son. He made you his daughter. And God, just as much as we look forward to the coming of Christ or to our death and, and getting to meet him, so Christ looks to in that pregnant moment, in that perfect moment that God has foreordered, in that moment where God gets to take all of his sons and all of his daughters and bring into his bosom. God has prepared an inheritance for us, but we are his inheritance to be with him forever. This is his will. This is his plan. He loves you. Brent, my marriage is a wreck. Brent, my family is a mess. God, you are the God's treasure. See yourself, be made aware of the hope you have in Christ and how much God's affection is for you. The value you possess as his bought, blood-bought sons and daughters, a people that were not a people, but he's made his people. We are his people, a treasure to him. Our names are written on his hands, the book of Revelation says. You you are loved by God. Grow in your awareness of just how 
Brent, I don't see how he could love me. You better focus on the cross behind me right now. He loves you so much. He made a way for your sins to be paid for. He crushed his son so that he could bring you to his bosom. He crushed Jesus so that you could know how much he loves, treasures, and values you. Aware of the hope we have, aware of how much he loves us. And third thing, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now that's one verse in this long run-on sentence of Paul in our English Bibles. But if you're a note taker, underline a few words with me really quick. Underline first, immeasurable greatness. God wants us to be aware of something. What does he want us to be aware of? His greatness that is so vast, it cannot be measured. There is no scale large enough, no ruler big enough to measure the greatness of our God. Next, underline power. And then finally, towards the end, underline great might. Let me, told, let me tell you why we underlined all three of those. In this one part of this sentence, Paul almost exhausts the entire Greek language in verbiage about power, might, and greatness. Paul is communicating something very strongly. He wants the Ephesians to be aware of. Why? Remember the city of Ephesus. Remember the temple of Artemis to the Greeks, Diana uh, to the Romans, four times larger than the Parthenon. Remember the 50 other temples, uh, over 50 other temples to other gods, other goddesses. In, in Ephesus, if you were a woman and you wanted to get pregnant, you went and, and there was a blood sacrifice and there was uh, incantations and there were spells that you had to buy. Remember six million dollars worth of spell books that were burned as these Ephesians got saved and came to trust in Jesus. Ephesus is a spiritual place just like America is a spiritual place. It's not the same as Ephesus. We're just better at hiding our superstitions. Now we'll preach about it. What what does Paul want us to become aware of? The power of the God that we serve. And this power dynamic he wants us to be made aware of. He illustrates in four different ways. Let's read those now. The first is this. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Did you know there would be no Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, what a pitiful group of people we are if Christ is not risen from the dead. Did you know if Christ didn't raise from the dead, we'd still be in our sins? But what did God do? God the Father, it was his will, it was his purpose for Jesus to be crushed, for Jesus to die. And we're not talking about resuscitation. 
I took a CPR class about a year ago and I learned something. You know how on TV when somebody falls over or something and somebody does CPR and all of a sudden they come to? That's false. If a person stops breathing, CPR is to, to almost work as uh, the heart to, to push blood up into the brain so the brain doesn't die. If the brain's dead, even if you make the body work, uh, you know, you're a vegetable, right? So CPR is to keep blood going to the brain so it doesn't die. And you've only got about four minutes with no blood going to the brain for it. It, it, it turns gray, it dies. So we do CPR so the people can come with the shocky things and jar the heart back to pumping blood on its own so you can stop the CPR. Jesus, there are people who have been resuscitated a lot, but there's no one who has been dead and in the ground and been resurrected. What is the power of our God like? We'll take the greatest enemy towards humanity that there is, death. No one's ever beat death. Death wins every time. Great men, uh, how many of you know the story of Voltaire, this man who in his writing said what the disciple, the 12 disciples established and how they turned the world upside down, I will undo with the stroke of my pen, he said. Vain, arrogant man, wealthy man, powerful man, influential man, died crying like a baby, begging for more time and more life. The nurse in that room walked out saying, I never want to be in the presence of an infidel dying again. Death comes for all. None can escape it save Jesus Christ. The power of God raised him from the dead. Do you know what Romans 8 says? That same spirit of God that raised him from the dead now dwells in us. When we see ourselves less than we ought, it comes from our ignorance about who God is. Oh, Brent, I just think I'm going to have this sin forever. I can't find that. We're, we are sinners. We're going to fall in a hundred different ways. But I don't buy that. Well, this is just going to be my thorn to bear. You deny the power of God a power that conquers even death itself. Well, Brent, this is just the way I am. I talk about people. It's just, I can't help it. It's just who I am. You are immature. And you need to grow in your awareness of the power of God. It gets better. Two minutes. That he worked in Christ when he, so first illustration of God's power, he raises Jesus from the dead. And we're going to do these next two together. But here's the next two illustrations. He enthrones Jesus and he subjects all things to Jesus. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is called the, you know, this part of theology never gets any play. But right now, Christ is in session. You know how we say when Congress is in session? That word session just means they're seated. They come together and they're seated. And they're, what they're seated for is important. They're making decisions, all right? They're running the country. They're, right? Well, Jesus Christ has been raised, conquering sin, death, hell, of the grave. And where is he now? He has been seated at the right hand of the Father. And do you know what he's doing there? 
He is interceding for you. He's interceding for you in that sin that you're wrestling with. He's interceding for you. And you're, Jesus Christ has the ear of God the Father and is reminding him of his blood that covers you, that washes you white as snow. He's, he's reminding the Father that, that you are sons and daughters according to his will. And the reason that he died in your place for your sins, he's praying for you. You've got the prayers of Jesus Christ in your favor. Become aware of the power of God in raising Christ from the dead and enthroning him. Your Savior is enthroned above. Look, it's always better when you just read the Bible. Far above, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in eternity and the one to come. Listen, every power, every authority, I mean, look at the words, every dominion. There's, that's why, that's why uh, Peter and John preach in Acts 4, there is now no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. It's because Jesus Christ is enthroned in glory and all things have been made subject to him. And this is your savior. How, what are you afraid of? What are the things that change the physiology of your body that, that caused blood to rush up into your cheeks and the hair on the back of your neck to stand up. What intimidates you? How dare we allow the things of this world, how dare we let them bring fear into our lives? How dare we allow cancer to steal our joy? When our God is, there's nothing in this room you can name that brings anxiety into your heart that our God is not Lord over. What would it look like for Christians to grow in their awareness of the immeasurable greatness and power of our God? I think we might be more like Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Instead of when everybody starts talking and we just put our hands in our pockets and put our head down because we don't want to be the backwards, ignorant old fogies. And the names they're going to call us, there is no power, there's no nation, there's no government, there's no constitution. There's nothing written by the hands of men that is greater than the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has been enthroned and all things have been, are made subject to him. All his enemies are his footstool. Last verse, verse 23, actually back up into 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all. He gave Christ, God, our powerful God, gave Christ, enthroned Christ, subjected all things to Christ, and put Christ as our head to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Oh, Brandon, I just don't think church is all that important. Again, God is good, right? And we are sealed in the spirit if we believe in Jesus Christ. But we need to grow in our awareness of what he has done and the power that he has given us in Jesus Christ as his gathered people. That's why in 1 Corinthians 3, when Paul's talking about the church, the body of Christ, he says, anyone who tears down or destroys the church, God will destroy him. Why? Because anything against Christ has made subject and under his feet. Nothing can come above Christ and we are his body. Very true story. And we're not just trying to be cute. But about five years ago, we needed an org chart because the church was growing and we didn't know what to do anymore. But on, our, on the org chart of this church, the very first one to, to our, our new one that's a lot bigger than I ever thought our org chart would be, Jesus is right there up top. Why? And it's not just to say, oh, look, we're being biblical. It's because we believe that Jesus is the head of a church and the power and authority of Jesus rests as a mantle upon us for us to go out and show Jesus to everyone we come across. When we say we are the hands and feet of Jesus, we mean it. And God has empowered us to be this people that he's called us to be, not in our own strength, but because Jesus is our head. He's calling the shots. If you're in this room, grow in your awareness of the power of God within the resurrection power of God, the enthroned power of God. Nothing is above him. All things are subject to him. And he is the head of us gathering together to proclaim him, to rest in him, to be encouraged by him, and to go out in his name with his banner for his name to be great all in all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. We deserve nothing. You've given us everything. Father, I pray that everyone in this room would grow in their awareness of the hope that we have in you. Father, I pray that each and every one of us, we would, we would grow in our understanding of how much you love us and what a treasure we are to you. Father, and I pray that we would not be weak, spineless, cowardly people, but we would grow in our awareness of your immeasurable greatness, your power, your great might, your spirit that raised Christ from the dead that now resides in us. May we, like Paul, proclaim your gospel, the power of God unto salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen.